This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. Um, it's still Josh Williams hosting. Uh, Christian's still very busy. He's back to work, but he's still very busy. So, as has been the case for the past couple of weeks, I'm joined by Dave Hughes. How are we doing, mate? Yeah, I always, I always sound like the second prize, don't I? <laughs> yeah, I know, know, I need to... Left over, but... I need to stop announcing Christian's absence as it's a weird thing now because yeah. it's uh, it's becoming a bit commonplace, isn't it? But, yeah, exactly, mate. Um, Liverpool are present at eight points clear in the Premier League table. I'll say that again, Liverpool are eight points clear. Again, Dave, how do you feel? Yeah, <laughs> over the moon, mate. Early October um, as well, which is bonkers really, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, so we'll get into it anyway. As to why that's the case, we'll talk about the Leicester match. And then, obviously, with it being the international break, it's not a great time to, to be talking about football, so we're going to have a Q&A session. Uh, thanks for sending in the questions. We're going to get to as many as we can. Uh, probably won't get to them all. But... Yeah, we'll get, to, we'll get to that for the second half of the podcast. So, firstly, we'll talk about Leicester. Um, and I think it's, you know, personally, I think we called it fairly accurately. I think uh, Leicester were, I mean, for me, certainly, they were quite conservative in how much how many players they committed and mm-hmm. and things like that, how they set up the, you know, the 4-4-1 that we, we, we mentioned that they have used this season. Um, but, yeah, I think the match... Vaguely went as I expected. I'm not sure about yourself. You was at the game, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. No, it, it did. Um, and it feels like you're bragging, doesn't it? But it did go kind of how we said. You know, they they did put that formation the four one four one. Madison on the left, which is something we flagged in the last podcast, didn't we? Yeah. Um, thought it was a little bit conservative by Rogers and and what we'll probably touch on in a little bit. I thought it was a big factor in Trent having such a good game as well. Yeah, well, I mean, we pointed out last week that Leicester, generally, this season have, have come across as a good defensive team, mm. while offering very little on the on the attacking side of the game. And the way the match went, you know, it was exactly that. Liverpool absolutely. I mean, past couple of weeks we, we addressed the lucky win against Chelsea, mm. then we addressed the ugly win against mm. Sheffield United. This week for me, it was very much a dominant. Deserved win, certainly for me. I know you've got thoughts on this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but if you look at the XG on the day, Liverpool uh, 3.7 XG compared to Leicester's 0.1. That is a serious dominance. Um, 16 shots for Liverpool with half of those on target compared to Leicester's two shots with the first of those coming in the 73rd minute. Um so although for large periods Leicester came across as quite, you know, they were fairly competitive in the in the middle of the, in the middle of the pitch, I'd say. Um, Liverpool found it generally trickier than usual, I'd say, to to keep the ball in the final third for long periods. But uh, it it's weird because Leicester generally, despite that, offered very little actual threat, like tangible. You know, mm. we are. We are likely to score from these chances. They refrained from shooting, didn't really get much in the box. Um, so yeah, I mean, for, for me, it was a, a generally dominant performance. But from your perspective, from an, sitting in Anfield, I'm assuming it felt a little different. It, it did, yeah. And I, I'd said this at the time to you, and you pointed out it's obviously Liverpool's dominant, certainly in the XG and and so on. Um, and I do agree, but maybe for me, that's where. There just isn't that kind of measurement of what goes on in the other areas of the pitch when just looking at XG alone. Like that sounds ludicrous to say because creating chances normally leads to winning games, doesn't it? Scoring goals. But at no point did I just feel like Liverpool would dominate in in other areas of the pitch the way they normally do. I can I can see you wanting to disagree. <laughs> no, no, no. The game maybe it's because I'm so used to Liverpool just kind of destroying sides, and you know it's very rare that you see Liverpool with just a slender lead of, of a goal. Um, and Leicester just always felt in it for me, even though they weren't creating a lot of chances. Um, I, th- I think from my perspective, they always felt in it. But I don't think that was because of them. If It felt mm. like that was because of us being, being a bit wasteful. 
in some, we had plenty of transition moments, particularly in the second half, where oh, Salah just uh, lose the ball, or or Mane maybe would do it, or or something like that. And we we could have scored plenty more than we than we actually did. Mm-hmm. I thought we could have shot more plenty plenty more than we actually did. Um, but I think having you know you know knowing a, a relative amount about Rogers. And seeing him in charge of Liverpool for a number of years, it was a very Rodgers game. Mm. I thought it was a very Rodgers performance for Leicester. Mm. In that, lots of nice things, generally quite competitive things that you'll be quite happy with on the field. But just not that actual cutting edge, decisive product mm. in the final third. Yeah. That's the difference for me. And that's what Rodgers is prone to doing. Mm. He's prone to like, like he signs players. He sat, he sat a lad in the summer, Dennis Pratt. I walked towards him, didn't I, on deadline day? Mm. And when I when I looked into him, good player, technically very clean. But he'd, he'd scored something like, I think, two all season last year in Syria. Maybe maybe one assist, something mm. like that it was. Yeah. Um, he really liked Adam Lallana before Liverpool signed him. He, want, you know, he wanted to get Adam Lallana in. I just think he's inclined to like these players that are that are good, pleasing on the eye, but they don't actually offer that output. Yeah. That where if you, if you compare it to Salah, maybe Salah looks a bit rough cut, gives the ball away a lot, but he delivers. Yeah. He's, a, he's an actual output merchant. Mm. Rogers doesn't seem to like output merchants, and he instead instead seems to like players that are nice. I um, think. I think th- the way I see it, and it's, it's similar to what you're trying to say, is I think he likes, he almost has everything, but he doesn't have the moments, do you know what I mean? So as I, as I was saying, I still felt, and maybe I'm on my own here, everyone listening might give me loads of grief. I just felt like Leicester were in it, but they were just lacking those cutting edge moments, you know, creating those, those. I mean, there was a chance, I can't remember the top of my head when it was, where Vardy looks like he's going in, and I think Adrian comes out and um, smothers it, or... Or basically breaks it down, doesn't register as anything. Um, but it just felt like they were just lacking these moments. And I think that goes with the narrative of what you're trying to say, that they, they have these nice players, nice play, but the, the stuff where it really matters, the moments, as I keep saying, they, they don't seem to have, which might explain why they didn't muster up those chances until late in the game. Yeah. Um, I mean, he, he, Rogers said after the match that he thought he deserved the point. Uh, and although I am fully in favour of mixing the whole statistical analytics perspective with what you actually see with your own eyes. Yeah, the eye test. But I just can't help feeling that no matter how good your play actually is, no matter how competitive you are for large periods, if that's your actual output, mm. two shots to 16, mm. XG, 3.7 was it to 0.1. Yeah, but you just I, don't deserve anything for me. No, yeah, you you I have to understand. actually offer something in the final third that's gonna actually deliver the result rather than just um, doing everything before uh, uh, between both boxes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? No, yeah, I do. Yeah, nice stuff between both boxes, good competitive stuff. But you have to ultimately score or shoot or you know that yeah. that that threat. Maybe there's an agreement there where, as I said. Everything that can't really be measured in things, metrics that we have at the moment and kind of data. So uh, XG is obviously there for chances, but maybe stuff in the middle. It's it's a little bit more difficult to quantify. It just, going back to the, what I was saying before, the pod, the eye test, I just did think that they felt like they were in a game. And it, But we've, we've touched on it all now. You know, they had these, they have nice bits of play and, you know, the, the competitive, but, the um, <laughs> sorry, my microphone just another one of them microphone episodes. Um, but yeah, the the whale ultimately lacking. So I do appreciate it. I mean, the only thing with Liverpool's XG, obviously, it was padded out a little bit, wasn't it? By one, the penalty, and then there was a lot of of chances that were an XG of below point one, really. You no, know, an accumulation of chances. But I can't disagree that the uh, the by far were the most creative side. Yeah, I just think Liverpool are inclined to just more inclined to be more penetrative with their possession. Mm. Uh, I think like I think each team roughly completed the same amount of passes or they certainly attempted in the four hundreds, I think, each mm. team. And Liverpool's was just I mean, if if you look at the actual stats on their own, 
it's very much a Rogers game in in terms of what he what he used to be, especially because both teams roughly the same amount of possession. Mm. I think it was like fifty two percent Liverpool, forty eight percent Leicester, roughly the same amount of passes, but sixteen shots Liverpool, two Leicester. So, and, and it's it's that yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, but I'm just wondering if you can maybe appreciate the point yeah, that I'm trying yeah, to articulate. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, I think I think they generally, as I said, kept us away from the final third more often yeah. than we usually. We usually there a lot, obviously in, at Anfield, especially. I think that impacts my narrative a little bit as well. You think you know? I just don't expect teams or these days to go to Anfield and and really do anything or get anything and. That and then plus the we always talk about goals impact narratives, don't we? Because um, we yeah. talk about how it was meant to be a lucky win against Sheffield United, but it was it was more so that the errors can't influence that. I wonder if the penalty is the same thing where penalties from come so late on um, that again yeah. you come away thinking I oh, was was that fortunate? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's it was an, it was an interesting game. Mm. Um, you know, I, one of the things that people were surprised about initially when the match kicked off was. Firmino was on the left mm. uh, and Salah was through the middle, Mane on the right and every now and then Mane would go through the middle, Salah would go through the right and that's something that situationally happens with Liverpool, mm. it's a fluid system, yeah. you know, you just take the place of your of your teammate kind of thing and you mm. just fill in, but usually that's all it is filling in. Yeah. In this match we seem to do it as a deliberate ploy, I've talked about it this week for the Echo and the, the the reason for me was was simply Leicester want to play this high line, this proactive game whereby you're pressing from the front. They've yeah. got the uh, the highest PPDA, believe it or not, in the, in the league at the mm-hmm. minute. Yeah. So they obviously press from the front. But if you're going to do that and you're going to impose a high line, you're going to leave ex- excessive space in behind. So you need defenders that are complete enough to cope with that space behind. Mm-hmm. Evans and Soyuncu, um Decent defenders, good on the ball, but they're not quick. See, I, I, I think Sonia Super was really good, you know. Good or quick? Quick, yeah. No, I thought... <laughs> Do you think he's quick? Initially, because I took... By the way, I, I totally agree with you. I think you're spot on. I thought that's why they, that's why they did it, to get in behind. But I was wondering whether he was a little bit surprised at how quick Sonia was. Because I know yeah. I was waxing lyrical about him last week. I thought he'd done all right in, in terms of keeping no, it, up with Salah's pace. And when the ball was going in behind, I can't think Manny. of an example. No, but initially, oh, when, okay, yeah. when, so so for me, the pit, I thought it was so Salah could try and get in behind. He'd be the biggest threat running behind. Yeah, and I just thought he kept up with him really well. Yeah, no, I mean, he's, he, I, I'm not getting. No, I know you're not getting. I, I don't mean you slow. Yeah, yeah, I understand. It's just yeah. Mane pace. I'm talking here. Yeah, like fair, there's yeah, a difference. No, fair, yeah. um, like if Mane was running in behind against Joe Gomez or Van Dijk. Mm it wouldn't be worth doing because yeah. you probably wouldn't beat them in a race. Mm. If you do it against Evans and Soyuncu, you probably do beat them in a race. So one thing Klopp's really, really good at doing is presenting tactical problems to the opposing team. Yeah. And it was almost as though we presented the question to Rogers, as in, okay, you can press us highly, but if you do so, we've got Mane on the last shoulder of your man. Yeah. So if we break your press, we're in on your goal. Mm. Obviously, it worked out like that. We ended up scoring the goal, mm. opened the score, and through that little tactical tweak that uh, that clock made. Um, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, say for me though, I, it looked to me like he switched it back just before the goal. But but I, I still agree with you. I, I still agree that it does create that that problem. That element of doubt. Yeah, exactly. Even if he even if he just deploys it for the first half an hour, you know. Leicester then trying to settle into that rhythm, aren't they? And then if he does then change it back, they've got to readjust. And I think that is in itself a positive tactic. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to the actual goal that Leicester eventually scored, um, wasn't a great goal no. from a defensive perspective, uh, considering you know Liverpool. But I do think, this is one of the questions actually in the Q&A, so we'll address it now. I do think Alisson saves that personally. I think if you actually look back at it, I, I'm quite surprised that Adrian didn't receive much stick on that because for me, it's a save that you've got to make. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we've talked about Alisson overperforming and saving shots that he should, shouldn't should save and things like that. For me, this is a shot that the average keeper would, would get his feet to at least. Or yeah, maybe. oh yeah. Well, I know um, 
we were looking at it earlier, wasn't we? And it was actually talking about it with the other lads in the office. And we can maybe post the screenshots if anyone wants us to after the show. It, it, at the moment, that Madison's about to hit the ball. It, there's what, maybe nine or ten yards between him and Adrian, or may, maybe a little bit less than that, eight or nine. The, the angle's not great either. Yeah. He, Madison can't, like... He hasn't got a clear angle towards the corner or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. It's, 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 it should be a, 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 a fairly easy slate. I don't think there's that much power behind the shot. And it do, it looks like it took a deflection, but I don't actually think it does off Lovren. I think the goalkeeper gets something on it, but he should just do better. Yeah, he I should. Think. He should. Uh, and one more point that I'd like to make on the game before we move on to the Q&A is, well, I suppose it's related to one of the Q&A questions because uh, Dan Kennett, for the end of the show, came in with... A, a point on Trent and said that his, his threat was unbelievable and yeah. and things like that in the Leicester game which it was but found an interesting little uh, little stat before that it's since Trent has came into Liverpool team struggling with the mic <laughs> yeah. I hope it's not coming across on the podcast but this, uh, <laughs> this microphone's trying to punch me so I need to unlock my laptop or go on uh, yeah so Trent since he's come into the Liverpool team obviously he's played a, a great deal of matches now despite his age mm. And he, um, he's obviously he, he gives the ball away a fair amount. Yeah. We, we we accept that. That stems from the the risks he's taken on the ball and things like that. But this was Trent's worst passing accuracy in any match for Liverpool, wow. with the exception of two games, Champions League final against Spurs. His passing accuracy against Spurs somehow I don't know how anyone no one picked up on this. Maybe probably because we won. Yeah. But his passing accuracy in that game was fifty percent. Oh. So he gave away the ball fifty percent of the time he was on it. It was such a scrappy game though, wasn't it? Yeah. He said it was an amazing game. Yeah. The, the, the other match was Porto away in the Champions League last season. Mm. But against um, Leicester on the weekend, he gave the ball away. He, he, sorry, he, he completed fifty-four percent of his passes, which. You know, in the in mainstream media, maybe that would be deemed and used by certain pundits who don't use stats very often as a negative. But he ends up uh, playing very well, uh, offering the threat throughout the match and things like that. Um, and I've always said I think passing accuracy is, is offers an insight into the risks that a player that a player takes during the matches. Obviously, fifty four percent is not ideal. You want you want higher than that, regardless mm-hmm. of the risk he's taking. But it does offer an insight into his role in the team, yeah. um, and what he's what he's required to do because he's clearly trying an awful lot there. An awful lot's also not coming off, but he's clearly attempting attempting loads there. I'm not sure what your stance is on on that stat. A hundred percent agree. I'm just as we're talking now, I'm trying to. So his average is around seventy percent. Yeah, I think. But if if you actually look though at Liverpool's team over the last calendar year, maybe and get up to passing accuracy. Something like the four worst players in the team for passing accuracy over the course of the past years, like Salah, Trent, Mane, maybe Robertson. They're four key attacking outlets for us yeah. who are required to try things in order for us to create stuff in, in the final third. So, Yeah, no, um, I totally agree. I think um, I think players who are, are more attack-minded, the, the reason that they have... Um, Worst passing stat, stat is because they will attempt more difficult, difficult passes. But the benefit of that is that you know those passes that do that are successful and normally contribute more to a, an attacking sequence, don't they? Then someone who might complete five more passes, but if the if the you know short five yards left or right backwards, not contributing anything to the attack. Um, yeah, so I'd, I don't think there's any way we can we we can kind of. But, um, but another player. Sorry, I'm just all I'm doing is I'm just trying to see who's got the best passing accuracy in the Premier League this season. I know Wijnaldum will be right up there because yeah. Wijnaldum posts good numbers generally. Kovacic posts good numbers as well for Chelsea, but these are players that tend to take few risks on the ball. They yeah. just tend to keep it moving, keep it in circulation, and things like that. That's it. So you've got like the likes of. In the top five, you got like Juan Aldum's in there, as you said. Declan Rice, Rodri, uh, Godfrey at Norwich. You know, see these are taking safe options. Yeah, that's it. There's n- there's nobody in there who you who you look and think very creative. No, is there? And I think that's important important to note that Trent's dropped passing accuracy. It doesn't mean he's had a he's had a bad game. Yeah, 
So uh, we won anyway. Yeah. <laughs> we ended up winning yeah. 1-0. 2-1, uh, sorry. James uh, won the penalty. Was that a penalty for you, quickly? Uh, no, it wasn't, actually. It wasn't? No, although I can see why it was given. I just thought it was too light, but I've seen so many of them given that I don't think it's enough to cause a cause a stare. Yeah, I mean, for me it was. It was, uh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, not being biased there at all, either. Uh, I think it's... It's it's similar to the Robertson one at, at Napoli that yeah. we talked about in terms of the player makes a move towards the ball, defensive action, doesn't get the ball, gets the man, obstructs the man, penalty. Yeah, no fair, yeah. He, he oversells it, yeah. which doesn't do him any favours. But if he doesn't oversell it and the referee doesn't give the pen, we're all mad with him, we're, we're all flipping at him. So You know what, I, th- I thought you just made a really good point about the Napoli pen because we talked about that on here. Yeah, and it's similar, yeah. Yeah, it is very similar to be fair. So... Yeah, I thought it, it was a flip of a coin. I'd probably say no, but as I said, I don't think there's that much of a stink that it was. Yeah, it was given. I will say, I think if it wasn't given, I wouldn't be kicking up much of a fuss either. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I wouldn't expect VAR to touch you. Uh, but you know, it's one of them that I don't think either team can argue with it's given or not. Yeah. Um, so we will move on anyway. That was an alternative take, I think, on on Dan's question regarding Trent. Yeah, as I said, there's, yeah, he's. I feel like I got sidetracked there, but I just wanted to prove the point that yeah, no, passing, high pack, passing accuracy isn't always a, <coughs> a great thing. And I think it's important, again, that you watch the game, isn't it? You, the eye test is important, because if you would have watched Trent, you would have known how, how well, yeah, how well yeah. he plays. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. So we will move on anyway. That was an alternative take, I think, on, on Dan's question regarding Trent yeah as I said there's, yeah he's, uh, I feel like I got sidetracked there but I just wanted to prove the point that yeah, no, passing, high passing accuracy isn't always a, <coughs> a great thing and I think it's important again that you watch the game isn't it you, the eye test is important because if you would have watched Trent you would have known how, how well, yeah, he, how well yeah. he plays so we will move on to the Q&A mm. uh, and we better get started because uh, there's a fair yeah. amount of questions yeah, again is, yeah. thanks for the questions Um I haven't actually listed the names of the people that have requested these things, so... Oh, they won't be happy, man. Yeah. <laughs> I've only got so many words fitting on my page. Yeah, fair. Uh, but we've tried to group some of the questions just to get, you know, to get moving with them all, otherwise it'd be here for days. Uh, and if your question hasn't been answered, it's just been a case of we haven't managed to fit it in with the time slot. So, first of all, we're going to do a generic XG explainer, really. Because we, we, we generally used XG and all terms like this very, very early in analysing Anfield days. And mm. we explained everything then. We don't really do it as much anymore because we take it as a given that people know. Uh, but, you know, maybe we've had new listeners in the past couple of months, whatever it may be. So I think we should get into what it means. The question that I, I saw about two questions, I think, on this, but one of the questions that came across was, what do you think is the best stat to gauge what happened in a game or looking at a team over time, XG just doesn't make sense sometimes. Um, and I think, you know, there's no no offence intended in this, but I think the people that think it doesn't make sense sometimes maybe don't fully understand what it's intended to do. Mm. Uh, so f- for me, X- XG is a performance indicator above all else. XG is an indicator of performance. Um and as a result of that, it's also a very good indicator of future performance yeah. and the level that you're going to get to and things like that and the levels that, the, sorry, the results that you deserve without considering aspects such as bad luck, bad finishing, good finishing, um, mistakes, you know, all things like that. Yeah, It's just a generic performance indicator. Um, obviously, the goal in football as a team is to create plenty of chances, plenty yeah. plenty of good scoring chances. Mm. And on the defensive side, it's to prevent the opposing team from doing that. And XG provides an insight into what chances you've created compared to the opposing team. And, you know, the, the values that each shot is given is based on historical data. So, mm. Yeah, it's uh, probably important to me, Dallas, isn't it? That is, is, I mean, it's, it's different, isn't it, with... Um, different metrics but it's upwards of 10,000 shots of the yeah, there's a calculator yeah yeah it depends on the model doesn't yeah, it but the there's, model, there's yeah. an awful lot that goes into it some people will be generally surprised surprised sometimes at the at the, the values that XG gives off but it's it's 
genuinely based on historical data. Like, say, for example, if, you, if a player shoots from 40 yards or so, that that shot will have a value of maybe 0.01. Mm. And that's because it's scored one times in 100, roughly. Yeah. Uh, which is, when you think about it, it's, it's probably quite accurate. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, so, and you want to add to that? No, I think it's fair, yeah. It's probably maybe just... If, if if people are completely new to it, it's normally scored between zero and one, isn't it? So yeah. obviously, if Josh is saying zero point zero one, it's it's next to no chance, as you say, one percent. And yeah, so normally, if you, I, what's your opinion? I think anything with an XG of point uh, two upwards is probably a, a decent, yeah, decent and, chance. And from point two upwards, from a defensive perspective, you don't want to allow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, because there's, there's very, very, very you know one in five chance really of being scored. So yeah. that's a decent enough odds. Um, but I'll, I'll use an example just roughly, which is commonly used by people in, in the industry and involved with analytics and things like that. And it's Newcastle. Uh, about maybe seven years ago or something like that, Alan Pardew was in charge of Newcastle. Um, the glory days. <laughs> he took the team to a I think it was a fifth or a sixth place finish. Yeah. Um above maybe Chelsea, above maybe Liverpool even, I can't remember it. But it, it was you know, a, a one off really. Yeah. At the end of the season Mike Ashley gave him six year deal. Eight. It was it eight, yeah. yeah. Okay, it's it was an eight year deal. Isn't it? It'd still be you there know. now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well done. You've got us to sixth place, fifth place, whatever yeah. it was. Uh, and the next season, he didn't sell anyone, as far as I'm aware. They didn't really change anything. Um, and I think they finished 15th. And Mike actually couldn't get his head round it. The, the Newcastle players, I'm assuming, couldn't get mm. their head round it. But, it. but if you look at their underlying numbers and their XG in particular, um, they had performed roughly the same. Yeah. It was just a case of in the first season that really benefited from luck in certain situations and finishing quality of uh, I think Papi Cisse was on a real run of form mm, and things like that were doing well, yeah. I think they won plenty of games 1-0 mm. um, and the following season despite the same performance levels without considering finishing the same performance levels um, didn't deliver the same results because the performance level wasn't great it was, it was a, a mid-table performance level yeah. it just delivered, delivered fifth or sixth in the season and the following year delivered fifteenth. Yeah. Um so yeah, it's it's people that follow XG and people that were aware of XG at the time would have been aware that listen, this season Newcastle are gonna fall off a cliff. Mm. You know, whatever and and he, and he did. Yeah. Uh, there's probably go on what you're I was just gonna say there's been evidence with that with various players. Mo yeah. Salah in his first season in England scored something like thirty two, was he? Mm. When he broke the record. Yeah. Uh but his XG was about Around twenty-two, I think. Mm. Um, so he overperformed. Next season wasn't a case of him getting worse; it was just a case of him reverting to the mean. Mm. Uh, go on. Yeah, I was going to say. I, I think what I've, I've found, though, obviously, we use it so much now, don't we? And in a lot more detail. One thing that is important to point out, and I only mentioned it because someone sent us, sent us a question on Twitter, didn't he? After one of the shows, saying Liverpool are overperforming their XG, should that be alarm bells? But what you tend to find with top sides is they will often overperform, won't they? Yeah, because they've they got better than average yeah. players, yeah. So they, they, these elite players need less or fewer quality chances to convert, score goals. So I don't think you necessarily need to... Um, or they'll convert lower quality chances, I should say. So I don't think you need to panic so much if you saw someone like Liverpool... Overperform because you, the chances are you're going to see that. Yeah, I think a good example to use on that very quickly is the Spurs buying game, mm. because people that have seen the XG for the Spurs buying game, it was around maybe one point five for Spurs and two mm. for Bayern. I think it was, yeah. and Bayern obviously scored seven. Yeah. Now people will be inclined to look at that XG and think XG is nonsense; it's miles off mm. the scoreline. But in fact, it's been a case of what you what you should get from that is okay. Bayern have had an XG of two. They've scored seven. So that's not XG being bad. That's Bayern being absolutely clinical, clinical. on the day yeah. and just finishing their chances. And mm. that's what we should learn from that. Yeah. Yeah. If you yeah, if you have a look at any 
In fact, the top three goal scorers last season, Salah, Aubameyang and Mane, I'm pretty sure all of them overperformed, didn't he, in terms of, yeah. in terms of the XG. It's just think so. is normal, yeah. So um, that's probably an important caveat to note on it. It's both having the, the understanding the what what it's telling you really. Yeah. Uh, next question. So we'll move on to another question that was uh, fairly popular was to do with obviously Man City. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just I'll read off just a few of the questions I've got down. Do the stats line up with Man City's current perform uh, current position? Is this a blip or just a run of bad luck? Um. Where are we and City in terms of stats compared with the same time last season? Are we lucky and City unlucky? And, you know, questions of that nature. So, uh, expected points. Mm-hmm. I've looked at for this. Same. Leave it on. <laughs> <laughs> so, just, again, as a little overview, expected points. So, Liverpool against Leicester recently, for example. Liverpool obviously had an XG of about 3.6, I think it was, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Leicester had 0.1. For that fixture, Liverpool got given about 2.98 points, <laughs> which yeah. is as close to three as you're possibly yeah. getting. Mm. And that's because XG considers Liverpool in that day to win virtually every time. So they get maximum points almost. Mm. So expected points is based on did you deserve to win it on a day based on you know the XG and the XG against. So it's got City currently on 18 slash 19 points at the minute Liverpool are currently on about 15 slash 16 so expected points based on the performances has Liverpool as second mm. even though it's obviously not the case yeah. uh, not sure if you've got any thoughts on that or um, I don't want to contradict previous points um, I don't know because I, th- I think for me right it's oh, go, on. go on no yeah go on sorry I was just I was just going to say like City is still only facing about around six shots a match. Mm. But I think the difference is they're facing really clear-cut shots. Yeah, they are high um, quality. In terms of XG on shot average, it's, it's high, isn't it? Yeah, the average shot that they face is quite clear-cut. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of Liverpool a couple of years ago, actually. Mm. We generally posted good performance numbers under Klopp, good XG numbers under Klopp. But we had Lovren in defence, Mignolet in defence, Alberto Moreno in defence, mm. and these players are error prone. So 95% of your performance could be good. You'd go and have a big error. It'd register on the XG as 0.4 maybe, but you concede. Yeah. It's a big chance. Moments again. Moments, moments yeah. yeah. Big moments. So mm. That's a good point. Even if you look at the Norwich game, because that's probably a stand. Well, except for Wolves on Sunday, but that was at one point their standout loss. In that game, they were, as I've said a few times, they were dominant. Like they, they should have won that game, but you know those defensive moments again cost them the game, didn't it? Yeah. Um, and if so, although this is the this is the issue I have sometimes with XG. I just think for me, Liverpool are worthy of being top spot, despite what that says. Yeah, well, Liverpool are, cons- are, are facing more shots than City per match, mm. but the lower quality. So, Liverpool might face 10 in the game compared to City's six, but City's will have a 20% chance of being scored yeah. each time, whereas Liverpool's might have an 8% chance of being scored each time. So, it Liverpool- depends what you'd rather want there, what yeah. you, which, fence, which side of the fence you'd rather. Rather be on. I think it would be Liverpool, wouldn't you? Because probably would, yeah. An accumulation of low quality shots is probably less chance of causing you harm than fewer but high quality uh, chances faced, isn't it? Yeah, but uh, I think it's stemming from obviously Laporte's absence. Yeah. Company's sale. Stones is now out. I feel like a lot of people are not talking about it. You know, I know that sounds silly. Everyone's acknowledging that um, the defense that you know they're facing more high quality shots, but the they had a bit of a mess in the defence and we, we did the pod like a month ago, didn't we, saying it, it'll be interesting. I think we're gonna, they're going to be in trouble big time and again, I think that's turned out to be fair to say yeah, that. Yeah. It's showing, it, 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 the data's backing it up that they are struggling defensively. Yeah. I mean, when you say struggling defensively, their actual defensive performance as a team for large periods is obviously flawless. Yeah. It's when you get through. But yeah, I was just about to say, I, won't, I feel like that's more to do with what's ahead of them. 
a little bit. Yeah, I feel like once, defending on the front foot. You mean? Yeah, at once when they do come to that back line or they breach that and they do get in behind slightly, then that's where I think the the issues. Whereas if someone gets gets through to Liverpool's defence, you still fancy the defence to deal with the issue. Yeah. Whereas City, you don't. Yeah. And I think I think another point worth making is that Rodri's obviously coming for Fernandinho in in the big defensive midfield spot. Mm. And I think although Rodri's good, I think Fernandinho was better at the whole putting out fires very quickly. Yeah. Uh, he'd just make a foul, or I think Rodri's more calculating in mm. his play, but that can allow teams through a bit more. Yeah. Um, I also think as well. Look at the way Liverpool used Fabinho last season. You know the the. They took the time to bed him in, didn't they, really? Did he not start a game till around October, November? Was that right? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. You know, yeah. how, many, how many games has Rodri played? How many minutes has he played so far? He's played every game, I think, Yeah, he? I mean, that's that's a lot, that. Yeah. To just come know, into yeah. it, the Premier League and do that role as well, which is a ridiculously hard role to play. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there's definitely issues there. I think Liverpool deserve it. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. I think one one additional question that I did see as well that probably ties in with this is how many points do Liverpool need to win the league? Mm. Uh, or how many more points I think it was. I don't think we can talk more points just yet with eight games in, but I would go as far as saying, looking at City this season, how they just, they just look a little bit more vulnerable than they have done mm. in a long time. Yeah. Um, so I'd go as far as saying that it, Liverpool can win the league with last season's total. I think. Yeah, I don't think City are going to get 98 again. Well, they lost, they lost four last season. Mm. They've already lost two yeah. already. They haven't faced us once yet. Um, and obviously we haven't dropped a point yet. No. We've got 24 points so far. Um, I think if we if we manage another 25 wins out of 30, that gets us 100 points. Uh, I think that's Sounds crazy, but I think that's quite doable. Yeah, so do I. Uh, I think the only way City come back, and this is what I was talking about before, when I was asking who's the last team to do the double over Liverpool, which ironically we found out was nobody under Jurgen Klopp. In Klopp's first season, West Ham and United did the double over Liverpool, but that was um, under Rodgers' side for the first, first two games, West Ham and United... Um, so no one's actually done the double over clock, which is phenomenal, really. Um, but City, I think, would have to do that, and I just can't see them doing it. I think Liverpool have a hold over City and yeah, Guardiola yeah. in particular. I just can't see them doing that, and without them doing that, I can't see where they're going to close the eight-point gap. Yeah, you see what I tweeted after the match? The quote from Guardiola. Oh, wait, it was it. Um, you lose the title within the first. Eight yeah, games. yeah, a quote from Pep Confidential. Saying uh, something, something along the lines of you win, you win the title in your last eight games, but you can lose it in the first eight. And he said along the lines of you have to the max you, the max distance you can be within eight games, within the first eight games is four points. Check me to us at distance covered <laughs> uh, if you want to read that yourself. <laughs> so the, um, uh, what do you think if we asked them that now? What would he say? Yeah, well, he's obviously yeah. dying, he's obviously dying, <laughs> wouldn't he? But even if they do go and beat us twice, that's six points. Yeah, just still, still with the lead. Too, yeah. So anyway, we'll move on. We need to get a move on. So a few questions on the front three. Uh, has there been any kind of drop off from the front three this season? Uh, that appears to be final pass appears to be missing. Who's the biggest culprit? Uh, one of the questions was comparing them to the likes of Daglish and Ian Rush back in the day, which we obviously can't we can't compare their numbers because there was no data around back then, but we can compare them to players that are around now. Um, and is Sadio Mane more wasteful than Salah? So I had a little look at this. Currently in the Premier League this season, after eight games, Mane is considerably the most clinical uh, he converts, he finds the net with 28% of his shots. Salah finds the net and Firmino finds the net with half that, 14%. I must say of the three of the person who asked the question, I'm quite surprised that these questioned if Mane was the most wasteful because for me he's, he's the most accurate. Yeah, yeah, Mane's... Uh, well, like, he obviously backed up as well. That he? whole living in moments thing that we just yeah. mentioned then, Mane's very good at 
you know, if he's given it, like Sheffield United, for example, away, first chance we get. In fact, no, that one, that's a terrible example. I was about to say, he missed that one, didn't he? Yeah, I'm thinking Southampton away, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just disregard what yeah. I just said there. <laughs> uh, but Mane, yeah, t- conversion rate of 28% compared to Salah, 14%, Firmino, 14%. Uh, and the same goes for passing accuracy, really. Again, passing accuracy looks at risk for me. But Salah, Salah's passing accuracy for the season is about 73%. Firmino's 79, Mane's 82. So, Salah in general is just a wasteful player, I think, and I've got to be careful in how I say that because he he combines that with just a constant nuisance from an opposition perspective. He's a nightmare to defend against. Really, really creative in in an attacking sense, but he does waste a lot. Yeah. You know, your, your eyes aren't deceiving you when you when you see that on the pitch. It's a bit like a cane roll, isn't it? You know, just high output, high output of shots will get goals, but they'll also yeah a lot of the time lead to nothing. Yeah, and you know, in, in terms of shots this season in the Premier League, Salah's paying ninety is very slightly down. Uh, Mane's very slightly up, and Firmino's very slightly up. But despite that, Salah is still Liverpool's most frequent shooter. Mm. He's still. We talked earlier in the season about Firmino shooting four times per match. That's come back down to earth now. That's not the case anymore. Yeah. I think he's just below three. Salah's above three. Uh, so, yeah, we'll move on from that. Uh, Joel Massip mm. seems to be getting quite a bit of praise. Yeah. So, one of the questions was, Joel Massip was voted PFA Player of the Month, which is well-deserved. To me, He's he looks like he's in the form defender in the league, even above Virgil. Um would the stats back that up? They would, yeah. Um, I think you were a fan of man, yeah. I am, yeah. Uh, certainly this season. Um, I noticed I was, I was looking at um, Tarkovsky, Koski, Tarkovsky, yeah. Tarkovsky, yeah, at uh, Burnley because he's obviously been getting overlooked by England, um, which I understand why, by the way, because he he's not in the passing <laughs> side, and that's not what Southgate wants. But um, yeah, I just happened to have a look at some of the some of the areas that he's been excelling in. I just noticed that Matip just seems to be leading the way and in most in the in the Premier League. I think he's I'm gonna bring up the numbers now, but in terms of defensive duels, he's right up there. Aerial duels one he is and he's also better than better than Van Dyke as well. Um, which is quite a surprise because it everyone assumes that it's kind of Van Dyke carrying who's who's ever next to him. Um but he's been he's been more than Worth his, worth his weight in gold, you could say, this season, to be honest. And, you know, I, I don't know if I necessarily, necessarily agree that um, when when he hasn't played, that's caused issues for Liverpool, but let's have a look. Um, I think he's just very assured in his game, isn't he? He's very in control. Well, yeah. he, he seems more in control anyway than he just seems than more he used confident to be. to me, to be honest, Josh. He just seems more he reliable. To, yeah, he, he used to be a bit of a Bambi on ice kind of vibe, yeah. you know, but... He does seem to deal with a lot that's around him at the minute. Like I, I looked at this season centre backs. Uh, Forty centre backs so far have amassed over five hundred minutes in the Premier League. Uh, Matsup is seventh for defensive dual success rate. That's a percentage. Uh, and for perspective, Van Dijk is twenty third out of forty. What's this defensive duels? Defensive dual success. So yeah. it's got nothing to do with the yeah, amount. Yeah, the amount. Yeah, because it's to do with you know your percentage yeah. win rate. Just to just to add clarity on that, the reason you don't really look at that is because Liverpool defend a lot less than say like Burnley or something, multi. So it's just yeah. it's not really fair to assess someone on that. Yeah, and aerial dual success rate again based on the same forty centre backs. Matup is second, and Van Dijk is third. Um, we've mentioned before plenty of times. The platform we use for this white scout is generally a bit weird, mm. especially considering defensive numbers. But you know, uh, these these seem fairly accurate, certainly in regards to mass up there. Yeah. Um, if you've got anything to add, we'll move on. No, yeah, I totally agree. It just took me that long to try and bring up the data. I'm glad that you had it there. He's uh, he's he's come. Let's just say from what we've seen, he's he's showing really well, and not just for Liverpool, but across the Premier League and. It's it's. It, I touched on last week how I wonder if his performances are impacting Gomez ever so slightly in terms of not being 
expect it to be that regular starter. It's too soon to say, but yeah, testament to Matip, he's doing really well. And to answer the question, he is performing a little bit better than Van Dijk. Certainly according to the numbers, at least. Yeah, I think it's numbers, worth saying yeah. Van Dijk defends slightly differently, just general defending tendencies is different. Well, it's that stuff that can't really be measured, isn't it, with, yeah. with Van Dijk? Yet, yeah. anyway. I'm sure some, someone's going to find out a way to do it someday. So, we had a question on Fabinho. Uh, I've, I genuinely want to avoid this one, <laughs> but you're willing to take it. Uh, I'd be interested in the breakdown of his numbers to show just how influential he has been, both defensively and offensively. Now, what the reason I wanted to avoid it personally is because, according to the numbers, on White Scout at least, he doesn't show up that well. No. Uh, but, what you know, what, I'll let you go into this one. Yeah, no, I... Um he didn't, and we wanted to maybe. Well, you said about maybe avoiding it, but I thought there was a little bit of a, a caveat to note with Fabinho that is important, really. I think he's playing a lot of football, isn't he? Um, and we deal in averages, don't we? Yeah. Um, and I'm finding watching Fabinho that he's almost flawless for a lot of the game and then looks very tired as the game goes on. And I think. Not only he's playing a lot of football, he's playing a very demanding role. You know, so many teams still put two in that position to try and share the workload. Whereas Fabinho plays that number six role on his own, on his own, and does a, a great job for most of it. But in the latter stages of the game, he looks tired. I thought he was flat-footed for for the goal that Leicester scored when the pass had fired into Perez. He um, he's a bit flat-footed, which all right, Perez does really well with his touch, but it, it means he can turn him and then get that ball to Madison to score. I noticed his, um, his average success rate is 57% for the season so far, but in the final 15 minutes of a game, that drops to 30%. That's interesting. So I just wonder whether it's it's being impacted a little bit in terms of the latter stages of the game and him just burning out a little bit. In an ideal world, I think Klopp would like to give him a little break, but I'm not sure we've got anyone who can who can take his place at Liverpool at the moment. Yeah. So in short, he's he's a good player. If you watch him, you know he's a good player. Again, I don't know if we've got the metrics to measure just how good he is in that sense. Maybe the numbers aren't doing him justice, uh, but they may be impacted by those tired last 20, 15 minutes. Yeah, I think generally just a quick word on Fabinho. I I think. He's one of the best in the league, if not the best in the league for me, in his position because he's able to offer solid level of output, both with the ball and without the ball. I think a lot of defensive midfielders are good at one of those mm. without having the other. I'm thinking maybe Declan Rice, indeed he may be mm. good at one, bad at the other. Uh, and Fabinho offers both to a really, really high level. Mm. Um, but it's just a case of maybe, I don't know if it's because we're only eight games in or... The, the burden that's been on his shoulders, whatever it may be, but according to our numbers at least, which, again, why scout defensive numbers not that great, could be flawed. Uh, he doesn't look that efficient, but it's something I'm not willing to believe personally based on the eye test because he looks really productive to me. He looks like he puts out a lot of fires for Liverpool, really aggressive. Yeah. Um, can occasionally get caught behind the play, but I think that's he's playing a lot of games and things like that, yeah. so... Anyway, we'll move on to Liverpool's defence. Uh, what is happening with the defensive situation is the lack of clean sheets compared to last season about poor positional play, poor form or new tactics. For me, I think it's... Firstly, we're only facing, in the Premier League at least, we're only facing about one more shot than usual compared to last year. Yeah. So, that's that's not to be overly concerned about... And I think a massive point worth making is Allison. Mm, I think Allison saves Madison's shot on the weekend. Yeah. I think he saves Willem's shot against Newcastle. I'm still sure about that one, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> what was the other one we said? There was one more, wasn't he? Um, was it? I can't think who it was. No, I can't. But there was there was one more moment where Allison. I can't help thinking that Allison would have made the save that Adrian was, was, didn't was, make. Was it one of the Salzburg games? Uh, the Salzburg it might have been, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. But just generally, 
Alison's inclusion secures those clean sheets. I think Adrian, one of the reasons Adrian's not overperforming strictly according to the numbers is because although he's making some decent saves here and there, he's still letting one goal in, still letting two goals in. Alison doesn't. Yeah. And I think those clean sheets will start to start to mount up with the same defensive performance once Alisson's in the goal as opposed to Adrian. Yeah, totally. I, I can't really add much to that. Yeah, I think the... Um there's, there's always a, that lack of trust, I think, from the defence in having your second goalkeeper in. And it's not an insult on him even as a player, even though I don't think he's been phenomenal since he's come in. Done a good job, but not phenomenal. But yeah, I think you just you don't have that same sort of confidence, do you, when you haven't got that keeper behind you? Um, so I expect it to fully, fully improve. But then I also think the term poor was a bit rough as well. I don't think Liverpool have been defensively poor. No, no, at and all. there's been no real change yeah. of tactics or anything like that. Just, I don't think. Yeah, um, maybe, maybe not up to the lofty standards of last season, but you've got to remember when you're missing such key players that things like this can happen. We're seeing it with City and to an extent maybe Liverpool, but yeah, as soon as Alisson comes back in, I expect that to go back to normal. Yeah. So. A question from the one and only John Birchall. Oh yeah, it's a, it's a tough question as well, John. To be fair, it is a good question though. Mm. So beyond Man City, which Premier League team is best suited to taking points off Liverpool? Um, obviously, this is something John's fearful because he's a United fan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think for me, it's tricky, really tricky one to answer because Liverpool can mix it. For yeah. lack of lack of a better word, whatever the scenario, like the way City can be vulnerable to certain styles of play, mm. Liverpool aren't really. No, whatever they flew. I've said, yeah, I've said before, Liverpool are real pragmatists in that mm. sense. That if you need, if if it's a fight, if it's counter attacking, if it's possession football, if it's soaking pressure, Liverpool can do it all to an extent to a good level as well. Yeah. So there's not a great deal that makes us uncomfortable, or that we can't cope with, or that is kryptonite kind of thing to our style of play I I think it, it it just comes down to almost I don't think there's a side anyway to answer the question I don't, I don't think I can't think of a side that's tactically equipped to to impact Liverpool or cause them major issues I, I think the traditional tough places to go could be the potential um, banana skin so I still think Old Trafford might be a difficult place to go for Liverpool I think they'll they'll find maybe. I was about to say find another ten percent. I need. I think they need another about ninety percent to try and get something off Liverpool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then maybe you know the likes of Goodison as well. Just those kind of high high emotional games. Not that I think Liverpool emotionally weak, but there's just very little else to yeah else to think, choose from. I think you know just speaking with general logic, I think the match would almost certainly have to be away. Yeah, can't just you know at Anfield considering. What we're playing for, I just can't see, no. can't see it happen in Anfield. I think whatever team it is, they've got to have quality and speed to offer a threat and attack. Because uh, obviously they're going to be pending for large periods, mm. um, and they've also got to be tactically very good. I think in the past year, there's very few teams that have caused us real problems. But Napoli obviously come to mind, and another team that comes to mind is. Sheffield United, interestingly, <laughs> I mentioned this to you before, didn't I? Because they really did make us question what we were doing, and, yeah. and they, they presented us with real problems where why mm. we had to figure it out. We just could not progress into the final third. No. The likes of Salah, Firmino, and Mane were effectively man marked because of the back five. Yeah. Anytime Firmino tried to drift into space and do what he usually does, acting as that link in the final third, he'd get followed. Trent and Robertson were allowed the ball, but they were allowed it in deeper areas whereby Trent couldn't even put a cross in. It was too deep to even cross. Yeah, and even so, when you would, it'd be bread and butter for defence with that many players in the box. Yeah. yeah, so I think I think Sheffield United offered offered a real interesting plan that you could other teams could adopt, but it was so almost defensive that a lot of top teams wouldn't be willing to. So you know it's. Yeah, I can't see that happening. I mean, two teams I've noted to cause us problems are United and Everton. Yeah. Funnily enough, uh, both I'd, I'd assume are, are away from home. Mm. 
And I think that's basically because in, in the league last season, they're the two matches we struggled the most in. Mm. I think we had six shots, maybe maybe even five at Old Trafford. Terrible match. Yeah. One one on targets, I think it was. It was a mess that game though, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Yeah, shambles game. I'm not mm. sure if it would be the same this time around. But, no. And Everton are just generally in the middle of the park, very in your face and... Gen- generally quite good defensively with, with the odd flaw from set pieces and things like that yeah. and obviously the emotion that comes into play yeah I think that's what they, they at Goodison they do they do thrive on the emotion a little bit especially in that fixture and when nothing, nothing's going on at their end at the moment it's such a big game for them to, to, to try and do something in it that, yeah it's a tough one um, and the record says the same as well so yeah I think we can agree that tactically I mean you'd, you'd in, in normal circumstances, you probably look at someone like, although the record's good against them, we touched on them earlier, probably look at, say, Tottenham, because yeah, how good yeah. Pochettino is, but, I mean, it doesn't even look like he'll be there by the time the fixtures come round, so... No, it's it's tricky, but I think... And that is on the horizon, that game, actually, at Anfield, isn't it? End of October. Yeah, I just think, I think tactically speaking, Sheffield United offered the real uh, plan there that you could maybe... Adopt, but I, just I don't. I don't think there's any real answer no, to be honest. To, no. to beating Liverpool was, was so adaptable. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we'll move on because there was plenty of questions surrounding the the midfield. Mm. Um, loads of questions about the midfield. So one was, what's our best midfield? One was, when do you think we'll induce, introduce Chamberlain, Shakiri, and Kate? One was, who plays as the six in the absence of Fabinho, Genie, or Henderson? So, for me, our best midfield ultimately depends. That will always be my my response to that. Depends on the opponent. Depends on what what you want from that midfield. Um, but one one midfield that I really did like last season was towards the back end. We played Fabinho as the six mm. and Cater and Henderson together. I really liked that. I think that real good balance in that midfield because I think I think. They were able to offer the mandatory traits mm. in terms of just graft, legs, defensive solidarity, you know, tactical awareness and things like that, able to cover. But they also brought their individual perks to it. Yeah. And I think Henderson's individual perks were really complemented by Nabby and vice versa. Mm, yeah. Nabby's obviously very unpredictable, offensively good dribbler, whereas Henderson is more defensively aware in your face you know that kind of thing as well to be fair yeah yeah. just that general balance I thought was very good yeah Keita's such a strange one for me I really like him like I think he if he could just get settled in the Liverpool team he would actually take that midfield to another level and for the reasons you've just touched on I just have a nagging feeling that it's never going to quite work out you know when I'm feels don't say that (laughs) no I'm not no I'm not wishing that upon him I just think it's it, it it just sometimes it just doesn't happen at a club and it's nothing to do with anyone. It's just he can't seem to I think if that's the case, I think it'll only be due to injuries because I do think he's a long term project. I was amazed at the quote the other day that Klopp said I actually gave him instructions the other day in English. I I, I read them and I'm like, What? <laughs> You've been at the club for a year. Yeah. He's now finally talking to him in English. Mm. So all these team talks he's been a part of in the dressing room. Nabby's been sitting there and not, not yeah. knowing a word that's been said. Yeah, I know. You can't expect him to do that that, that well, to be honest. So yeah, that, you know, that's a very good point, actually. That is a very good point. I do, but I do really real, like him. It's real adjustments, I think, for, for him. The, think. the other players on the list there, I think, are not really important. But if you're going to bed one in, it needs to be needs to be Keita, in my opinion. I, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I don't really know what's going to happen with Chamberlain in the future. He's another that I really well, expect high things of, but maybe he's going to just be a squad player at best, I reckon. Well, I think it's worth noting again, massive injury. Yeah. Um, the players he's trying to displace are in a really good rhythm. Mm. Uh, and they've been constant. I think Chamberlain's still got a lot to offer at Liverpool, still very young, just signed a new deal, I think. Very useful when we're playing big teams that are likely to maybe penals in because he's really good at driving us up the field with the ball at his feet, yeah, specifically always, City. Yeah. I always say that and always refer to that City game, but no, I'm, I'm actually being really asked because of that injury, but it just doesn't feel like it's, we've yet seen that it's player. It's too early, I think. Yeah, too yeah. early to uh, 
definitively to... state things on him. We'll probably know, won't we, at the end of the season where he's at. Yeah. And Shakiri for me, he's always been that that option that you want if you're facing maybe, I don't know, a Newcastle at Anfield. Just put Shakiri in the mix, play a 4-2-3-1 and just use the fact that he's a bit more creative and we can afford that extra attacker because of how little we're going to be attacked on the other end. Do you think he'll use him more this season than he did last season? No, I think it'll be roughly the same amount. Again. I think last season he played about 1,500 minutes. Mm. Maybe this time around it'll be... I mean, considering he hasn't played yet, he'd be lucky to get that. To be honest, but he's useful when we need when we need a goal, we need a, we need a chance to be created. But other than that, he is a bit of a defensive liability. Yeah, which you obviously at Liverpool you can't really have. There's, yeah, he's probably best described as well. I don't even think he's in this kind of elite frame. But you probably best describe him as a, a luxury player. Yeah, I would. I would. Yeah, yeah definitely. Mm. Uh, I put Madison in that bracket too, which. We talked about last week. That's why I'm not too sure whether. I mean, that it's takes us on to the next the next question. To be honest, which is transfer related, mm. and I think it's a real positive. I'll say that out of all the questions we've received, I think only two were to do with transfers. Mm. And I think generally, if your club isn't discussing transfers, it's a good sign. It's a good sign. It's a good sign. So anyway, one of the questions: Do we still need a creative midfielder? And another one was. This was a good question. Considering each of the front three are now 27, 28, how do you go about replacing them, assuming we have to sell to buy? Who do you sell first? Who could come in? Good question. Yeah, very good question. Very good question. So, part A, creative midfielder, what are your thoughts on that? Um, Hopefully they'll go inside with mine. <laughs> yeah. It, you know what? I would I would say that it'd be... It'd be good if Liverpool could bring that play in. I think they do need that play in certain games, but would would you would you spend seventy, eighty million to bring bring a player in of that quality or of that style? I personally wouldn't know. I, I don't think Liverpool require that playmaker type. Because it'd um, be for another formation, wouldn't it? It'd be for the, a, a, like a change of formation to bring them in. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I've mentioned in my in my, my answer here that you know, our version of a creative midfielder is an Ox or a Nabby because they are able to offer the fundamentals in terms of defensive endeavour, legs, mm. loads of energy, loads of distance covered, funnily enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but they've also got that unpredictable spark and that yeah. offensive threat. Mm. They are our creative midfielders for me. We, we, I don't think we've got much of an interest in the... Like an Ericsson or something. Yeah, n- not an Ericsson, not a Madison, uh, not really a Shakiri, if I'm honest. Um, trying to think of any other. Not, not really a Mesosozal. Yeah. Just not really our game. Well, it's because those type of players you're looking at, uh, traditionally you're looking at occupying like a number 10, aren't you? So you yeah. have to have that formation. And the beauty of Firmino is he he is almost a, the hybrid that drops into that role all the time and does that yeah, advanced exactly, pivot yeah. work, isn't it? So yeah, so I'd say I'd say the likes of Keita, Oxley, Chamberlain, Firmino are our creative types mm. because they've still got that that Liverpool brand to them while still being creative on the ball and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, and in terms of the front three, this is a good point because Liverpool are obviously an, an economic team, mm. economic club. Sorry, and we've got three. 100 million plus attackers mm. that are the same age so a lot of people would be naturally inclined to just keep them until they become bad obsolete yeah keep mm-hmm. them while they decline which yeah. doesn't make that much sense mm. from a business perspective it would make sense to sell maybe one reinvest that 100 million ish in the next gen uh, I don't know who you sell no, for I me don't. it's not for me no yeah, I was just about He's to say, keep. it's either Mane or Salah. Yeah. But, yeah. I, I, I mean, it'd be a flip of a coin on who you'd probably go. Yeah, I think, go. I think I think it it would maybe, oh, I don't know. Salah. No, yeah. I was going to say it would depend on the replacement and where oh, yeah. he plays. Yeah, like, maybe if you've like, got a, 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 someone lined up already, it makes that decision easier. Yeah, like two replacements I've got there are Jaden Sancho and Timo Werner. Yeah, they play on that. opposite flanks, I think. Mm. So you obviously can't sell, for example, Salah 
if you're going to get Timo Werner, because Werner plays on the left or through the middle. Yeah. Uh, so it would just depend, but I think that is something that Liverpool's Liverpool's um, hierarchy are going to have to consider sometime soon, yeah. whether we do cash in before the decline or whether we keep them while they decline and then eventually suffer a drop-off as a unit, like... I think of a team that's like Bayern yeah, maybe Bayern, yeah, whereby Ribery and Robin both reached like the age of 36 both left at the same time Bayern are now scavenging for, for replacements the latter option there is very anti-modern Liverpool isn't it yeah I, Liverpool are too proactive for I, that I yeah. think you could lose one and when I say lose one I mean cash in on one one within the next 12-18 months to be honest yeah I mean whoever it is will be a sad day yeah but it will make sense. It, yeah. it will be a clever move, mm. as as horrible as it sounds. Yeah. But anyway, we'll end on a final question. Who do you think should succeed Klopp at Liverpool? Now, personally, I'm not going to answer this with a definitive name because no. it's too early. Yeah. He's, he's here for the minimum three more years. Mm. But just, you know, any generic thoughts on the profile that you should be after not Gerard <laughs> no I don't I don't mean that I, it, just that I, I don't think we know anything about Gerard's management skills because if you look at Rangers the, yet yeah might, might in three years yeah but if he stays at Rangers will we like because you, you'll not you'll see a dominant side mm. in a a league that gets dominated by two teams yeah I feel like he needs another move maybe maybe that's a, somewhere in England Um I mean what I will say on that is Hopefully, if when Klopp goes, every single other thing will still be in place at Liverpool in terms of the coaching staff. Yeah. Edward's still above him. Mm. Mike Gordon's still there. Um, you know, all the scouts still in place and things like that. The way you recruit still be the, be the same. So, hopefully, we will keep the structure that Klopp has helped get in place fixed and then we'll replace him with maybe a Pep Linders or a Gerard, or what about like an Anglesman or something from like yeah the, yeah possibly but it's it's just got to be you got to ensure the identity's kept yeah the identity we've created is kept so whatever coach it is he's got to be a coach that's inclined to be intense counter pressing you know attacking football and he's got to be willing to to be quite like lenient in terms of leaving the transfers to those that know about yeah. it leaving the fitness to those that know about it rather than being a Rogers type who's inclined to get involved so, happy to delegate really yeah yeah, delegate yeah. but also got to buy into the identity of the club a little bit as well I think that's 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 what Klopp's done really well. I got everyone pulling in the right in the right direction yeah like I mean, I mean one of the reasons United have suffered so much is because they got in David Moyes then they got in a possession coach yeah. in, in Van Hal. Mm. then they got in a strategic coach really in Mourinho yeah so you're going all the way over all over the place in terms of identities and playing styles that's why I think I mean it depends how his next few years go but I think Anglesman could be really interesting you know in terms yeah, of definitely, potential yeah. Liverpool coach yeah it's uh, definitely a good shout definitely realistic because it'd be interesting especially in Germany and obviously with Leipzig as well who were that that brand that we love to talk about that Red Bull kind of yeah. brand <laughs> yeah yeah so we'll see but it's just going to be important to whatever coach we do get in. He wants to coach the style of play that Klopp has built. Mm. And we'll obviously have a, a squad that's suited to Klopp's style of play. So as long as you get a coach in that's got the same beliefs, mm. we'll, you know, we'll be fine. Hopefully we'll be fine. I mean, you're obviously not going to get someone as good as Klopp, but hopefully we'll... We don't uh, know, mate. Well, he's one in a million for me. But yeah, fair enough. Anyway, we'll end it there. So we'll be back next week. Jordan the international break will start previewing United and you know maybe a little bit more on other things I'm not sure we'll have to keep ourselves busy for the international break but thanks for joining us Dave yeah cheers mate thanks for tuning in ta you've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel